A challenge with hypervisor networking is performance. How do you get the sort of performance that is to say the throughput you need out of an x86 server when maybe the tastiest bits of the CPU core and NICs are abstracted away by hypervisor? Or, gosh, an x86 CPU isn't the same as, a, as an ASIC designed for network forwarding. How do I get the kind of speed out of it that I'm looking for? Well, today on Packet Pushers Priority Q, we're going to discuss the performance bottleneck in x86, some of the workarounds that exist today, and then commercial-grade virtual acceleration for x86 networking with our sponsor, Sixwind. I am Ethan Banks. Joining me is my co-host, Greg Farrell. You can follow us on Twitter at ECBanks and at Ethereal Mind and the show at Packet Pushers. And now let's introduce our guest from Sixwind, who is Jan Rappaport. Jan, would you introduce yourself to the Packet Pushers audience? Hi, everyone. My name is Jan Rappaport. I'm product manager with Sixwind. I've been working with uh, Sixwind for the last 15 years and uh, holding different positions at Sixwind uh, from uh, development uh, roles to uh, to my, my current product management role. Very good. Thanks very much for coming on the show today. And a lot of us that are traditional network engineers are used to working with hardware. And so a lot of what's going on in software or doing networking on x86 is, is new to us. So I thought we'd spend a little bit of time discussing what the performance challenges are there before we actually dive right into Sixwind and what's going on uh, with you guys. Let's start at the beginning here. Now, a lot of us that think of NFV, Network Functions Virtualization, are thinking about that in the context of a, of a hypervisor. Uh, a hypervisor vSwitch might struggle to fill physical pipes. This is kind of well-known, and there's also some contention of the hypervisor and the vSwitch for those x86 resources with the virtual machines that are running in that environment. Explain to us wh why that's a, that's a challenge and maybe uh, uh, some of the considerations there. Sure, sure. So um, first, I think it's very important to note that our industry is under a major transformation. People are moving from uh, from legacy hardware, so using uh, uh, standard uh, legacy CPUs, uh, legacy operating systems, uh, legacy applications, and uh, they are moving from there to uh, standard uh, off-the-shelf servers, x86-based servers, just for flexibility and, uh, and cost reasons. Because on these servers, today, you are now uh, able to plug very efficient network cards and get a very efficient networking performance while using a standard environment, so namely Linux-based environment and standard applications. So you get really uh, a flexibility and, uh, and cost efficiency by using these uh, standard x86 servers. Uh, so that's the first step. In other words, right, we're, we're used to buying you know, really pricey Ethernet switches or, you know, routers that all have custom silicon inside that are, that are moving packets around. And again, the transformation you're talking about is, okay, I'm tired of buying huge, big iron that's, I got to do a big spend on to get racked in my environment and do something. I want to use x86 instead. It's cheap. It's general purpose. Yeah, it's not specialized. But with the technology today, as you put in a special purpose NICs, you can really drive a, a lot of traffic through this platform. Exactly, yes. And especially when you are already using x86 servers for some purposes, like if you are a data center operator or, or cloud service provider, you already have these x86 servers. And uh, so being able to use them uh, instead of your legacy networking equipment. So we are not talking uh, Ethernet switches, but let's say uh, uh, equipment with a uh, high networking added value, so routers and uh, and uh, uh, maybe firewalls and uh, security gateways. So why not use your existing x86 resources to, to do that kind of, of thing? And this is now possible thanks to the, the latest uh, uh, x86 CPUs and uh, networking hardware. And, and right, you're still going to need an Ethernet mm. switch at the middle to interconnect everything. 
everything no matter what. That's uh, that's for sure. Ethan, you're still going to need a switch to switch packets or root IP, but I think we need to separate the networking as a pathway, as a forwarding path, as opposed mm. to an appliance. So load balancers, firewalls, IDSs, proxy servers, virus scanning engines, you know, all those appliances that we put into our networks that provide networking functionality, radius servers in the 3G networks or carrier backbones, they have 3G PPP, translation capabilities, NAT gateways. All of those things have operating systems and quite often they rely on custom hardware. What we want to be able to do is get off those custom hardware platforms onto standard x86 once I'm on an x86 platform, once I have an x86 platform, then I can put them in a VM or I can run them bare metal. doesn't matter. And Jan, I think bare metal x86 is uh, a viable path here for a lot of the NFV stuff that's going on, yes? Actually, yeah. Bare metal would be a first step. That is, you move to a standard environment and from there you move to virtualization. We should talk a little bit about the performance bottlenecks you have when you do that kind of, uh, of transition. Uh, so, so first, when you move to bare metal, as you're going to, to use a standard server, you're going to use standard NICs, even though they are designed for high performance and they, they allow, uh, let's say, very high inputs and outputs of packets, you'll face bottlenecks with the software, well, for example. And that's uh, one of the things uh, SixWinds aims at solving. We'll come back on this, I guess, with the linear environment, you have performance bottlenecks because Linux aims at having a lot of features and uh, Linux is not dedicated to networking. So you have performance bottlenecks. You, you meet these performance bottlenecks when you move to standard environment, generic environment. And then when you move to virtualization, it's even worse because you have the same performance bottlenecks in the hypervisor. That mm -hmm. is the, the system that is used to run the VMs. And again, you may have performance bottlenecks in your VMs uh, uh, for the same reasons. So on the path to virtualization, going through bare metal, you meet these performance bottlenecks. And so you're not able to benefit from uh, the new hardware that is available on the market on generic x86 servers with these high-performance NICs. Uh, you cannot benefit from that if you don't have high-performance networking software. Now, you mentioned Linux and, and a lot of the... NFV networking that's being done these days does seem to happen on uh, you know, with Linux and the Linux kernel involved. Now, some of the reading that I've been doing on this, there seems to be a big deal about the Linux uh, and the traffic that runs through kernel space versus user space. Can you explain that? In a Linux system, you have a kernel, which is the, let's say, the entity in the system that is the, the core of the system that has all the functions that provides so networking that provides uh, uh, management of devices, uh, etc. And uh, there is user space, which is uh, uh, commonly the application space, and the applications uh, in general rely on the kernel. And so the Linux kernel is a very powerful piece of software, but because it, it tends at being uh, exhaustive in what it can do, it tends at having a lot of functionalities, it also has performance bottlenecks. And so uh, doing things in the kernel is efficient in the Linux environment, but still has bottlenecks related to the Linux operating system itself. So that's why today to have very high performance in Linux, there are tools that allow you to have a user space application that will bypass the kernel, provide performance independently from the Linux kernel. Okay, so this is, yeah, and that's what I've been reading is that uh, a lot of the acceleration techniques uh, move the functionality into user space space, work around the kernel, and then 
uh, and then saves you from having to pass through the kernel and deal with those bottlenecks that are there. But there's been, I mean, there's been a number of solutions that have addressed performance bottlenecks uh, over the last few years. Uh, one that comes to mind that's been around quite a while is uh, SRIOV. I, I think maybe if we set up SRIOV and then maybe also some of the uh, the new stuff we've been hearing about with Intel's DPDK would be a good setup to then transition to what SixWin does. So can you give us a, a quick overview of SRIOV and then uh, DPDK? So SRIOV is a technique used in virtual environment to bypass the bottlenecks of the virtual switch. So in a virtual environment, you have a hypervisor, in our case, running Linux. And this hypervisor is responsible for running guests. The guests are the virtual machines. For the communication, for the packet processing between the outside world and the virtual machines and between virtual machines, the hypervisor runs what we call a virtual switch. So the, the virtual switch, it's a piece of software, an engine inside the hypervisor for communication between virtual machines and uh, with the outside world. This piece of software typically is a performance bottleneck. It does not provide high performance processing. Also the drivers, the physical drivers in the hypervisor when using Linux interrupt based and they are not designed for very high performance processing. And also the drivers between the hypervisor itself and the virtual machine that we call the virtual NICs, virtual drivers, do not provide high performance in Linux. So for all these reasons, there is a need to get better performance. And the first solution that, uh, that is usually deployed because it's easy to do, is use uh, SRIOV or pass-through. When you use pass-through, you dedicate a physical NIC to a virtual machine so that you don't have to go through this hypervisor virtual switch, uh, but you give access to your virtual machine to a physical NIC. SRIOV is a kind of uh, pass-through, except that you are going to partition your physical NIC, make it appear as several devices that you can then attach to several VMs. But it's the same principle. You bypass the hypervisor's virtual switch, so you get your packets inside your virtual machines very efficiently. And it's true, you get performance that is close to bare metal performance in your virtual machines in terms of networking, thanks to SRIOV. But uh, when you do this, uh, you lose some features because you bypass the hypervisor. Uh, you're going to lose all the features that uh, that are provided by the hypervisor. For example, all the processing that can be done in the hypervisor, so uh, layer three, layer four processing that can be done in, in the hypervisor, and that is uh, uh, necessary today. For example, for uh, when you deploy OpenStack with uh, with uh, security groups, filtering, uh, NAT, OpenStack ha implements all these features in the hypervisor requires all these features from the hypervisor. And when you use SRIV, you, you just bypass them. The virtual switch itself has a whole bunch of state in it. And so, but once you go to SRIOV, you're pushing that state down into the hardware of the motherboard using single root IO virtualization, which is in the silicon on the motherboard. And so when you move the, the VM from one uh, physical motherboard to another, like logically migrate the VM around, that state doesn't come with it because the hypervisor is not necessarily aware of that, those routing or networking functions carried out in silicon. Is that accurate? Uh, so that's uh, something else. Uh, so uh, you're right. Uh, there is an issue with the VM migration when uh, when SRIOV is used. Uh, actually, there are workarounds for that, so it's possible to use a temporarily a virtual NIC and uh, mm -hmm. do your migration and then come back to SRIOV, but it's true, it's more complex, and so uh, VM migration is uh, is less easy 
to do. The point I was uh, I was referring to is really the features, the networking features inside the, the hypervisor, not considering a VM migration, just looking at a VM running inside the hypervisor. Mm-hmm. For example, when you do a deployment with OpenStack, OpenStack is going to uh, to use networking features inside the, the vSwitch, so filtering, NAT, virtual routing, uh, security groups uh, in Linux in the hypervisor. And when you use SRIOV, since you bypass the hypervisor, you lose those stuff. Okay, I get that, yeah. That's the common, though. That's not unique to OpenStack or VM where they all have that problem. That's a problem. When you, that's something you lose when you use SRIOV. Okay, so we were talking about moving to DPDK, so the open vSwitch with DPDK and how virtual switches can work with DPDK. Maybe it's best to start off by explaining what DPDK is and then how it works with Open vSwitch. Yes, DPDK is a software. It's actually a set of libraries and drivers for high-performance inputs and outputs in Linux. So you can receive packets very efficiently in a Linux application. So DPDK can be used as a basis to develop a networking stack in user space in Linux with very high performance that will allow you to uh, develop an accelerated stack inside the hypervisor, for example, to avoid bypassing the hypervisor, but still providing high performance inside the hypervisor. And for example, OVS with DPDK, uh, so of course uses the DPDK as, uh, as the name indicates. OVS is the uh, open source implementation of a virtual switch, so open virtual switch. Uh, it, uh, it provides packet switching between virtual machines and also uh, between virtual machines and the outside world in Linux. It's a standard uh, technology in Linux, similar to uh, the Linux bridge, but with, with uh, different features. Recently, uh, so OVS 2.4.0 that uh, was released, I think, August 24, 24th, supports DPDK. So that OVS can receive packets very efficiently and give very high performance uh, OVS processing inside Linux. So, uh, so OVS with DPDK uh, allows you to still use a hypervisor at high performance uh, with OVS features. Still, so OVS DPDK is uh, basic. It's a uh, it's bridging. It's switching. Okay, mm-hmm. so uh, it does not provide L3 features. For example, uh, the one we talked about, uh, filtering, NAT, uh, that kind of things are, are not uh, yet available in OVS DPDK. So that's a first step. Uh, towards using hypervisor with high performance. But so today it's an open source solution. Uh, there is no commercial support for it. There are also other features uh, yeah. lacking uh, to, to get all the features. Well, uh, the flip side of an open source solution is that everybody's using it, of course, right? So Open vSwitch may not have commercial support, but it's open source, so there's lots of vendors building stuff on top of it. So it's two sides of the same coin, I think. One of the problems we have with SDN today is that a lot of vendors aren't converging on technology or standardizing. And so open source currently is the strongest standards we have. That's the good part about Open vSwitch, true? Yeah, that's true. And, and OVS is, uh, is really the, the main technology. It's integrated in Linux. Uh, Linux comes with OVS. OpenStack uh, configures OVS. So, uh, yeah, well, it's a de facto standard. Just to go back, you said that OVS doesn't do Layer 3. What you're saying is OVS with DPDK support doesn't yet do Layer 3 or NAT or things like that. 
Yeah, that's correct. So, so OVS, it's a switching software. It does a, it does flow-based switching, mm -hmm. uh, and you OVS with DPDK uh, cannot be combined with uh, things like filtering. Just because when your packets are received inside OVS with DPDK, they are in a DPDK application. They are not in the Linux networking stack anymore. They don't mm -hmm. go through the Linux networking stack, and so you cannot use features of the Linux networking stack. So if your uh, DPDK application does not implement those features, then uh, you, you just lose them. And that's, so if that's your the, NFV appliance, if your firewall or your IDS system or your proxy server doesn't support DPDK extensions in itself, it won't be able to see OVS functions with the DPDK hardware acceleration. OVS with DPDK, it's inside the hypervisor. It's, it's just to speed up packet processing between virtual machines in at, at the hypervisor level. It does not implement those L3 features, filtering, NAT, that are required uh, when you deploy your virtual infrastructure. So I'm not talking about uh, the final virtual network function, about the final application, but I'm talking inside the virtual infrastructure you need filtering features, uh, you need uh, virtual uh, routing to separate multiple tenants, uh, etc. So, so there are features that, uh, that are required at the virtual infrastructure level. And so OVS with DPDK is a DPDK-based application, so you lose the Linux features. And today, OVS with DPDK uh, mainly provides uh, OVS switching. If you require in your virtual infrastructure other features than OVS, uh, then uh, you have a problem. And so these other features can be, uh, so for example, when you do an OpenStack deployment, OpenStack is going to configure your virtual infrastructure to use filtering, to use NAT, to use VRFs, etc. As, as I said, and uh, OVS DPDK is today not ready to, to support those features. So this is a good time to actually segue into SixWind then. We got a really good background on the state of the industry, what's going on with x86, some of the challenges of pushing packets through through uh, a Linux environment, and some of the solutions that we've got so far in that space, uh, like SRIOV and uh, OVS with DPDK. So now let's take it to the next level, which is where SixWind is at. So Jan, in a nutshell, why don't you give us some background on who SixWind is? Sure. So SixWind is a high-performance networking software company. So we are a software editor, and we provide high-performance networking software. Our software aims at eliminating all these Linux performance bottlenecks that we talked about on uh, x86 and uh, also other uh, multi-core CPU architectures. And uh, we enable our customers, who can be uh, service providers, cloud service providers, and enterprises, to make the move, to make the transition from the dedicated hardware, the legacy hardware we talked about, to bare metal servers on generic uh, x86 uh, CPUs and to virtualization. Our software is going to enable this move because it it, uh, it removed the bottlenecks we just talked about. Now, traditionally, you've been selling more to those uh, telcos and stuff and, and more like giving people a, you know, a framework of tools they can build something on top of. Is that a fair way to look at what you have done historically? Yeah, that's right. If we talk about our product, so historically, uh, SixWin has been selling its SixWin Gate product, uh, which is a, a high-performance packet processing software provided in source code uh, for uh, OEMs that, uh, that use it, take it, extend it, or add their own application recompile it with their own application, embed it to provide a final product. So historically, it's the technology we've been building and it's our first product. And uh, recently, in the last year, we've introduced uh, new products, so we call the speed series products, and uh, that include a virtual accelerator 
and uh, turbo appliances. In turbo appliances, there is turbo router and turbo IPsec. And so these speed series products are packaged products, binary products based on the six wing gate technology and uh, to provide virtual environment acceleration and software appliances uh, that run at high performance. We probably go into the details of the, of these things. So traditionally, we've sold our customer to OEMs, to um, network equipment manufacturers uh, who embedded the software to build boxes and uh, Today, we have uh, extended our product portfolio with prepackaged binary uh, software that, uh, that, that serves particular purpose of, uh, for virtual accelerator and turbo appliances. Got it. Okay. And you mentioned three different products there, virtual accelerator, turbo router, and uh, turbo IP set. Now, these are products that I, as an end user, a consumer, used to buying basically an off-the-shelf product and putting it into production. These are the kind of products that I can buy here from SixWin now. So let, let's talk through these. What is uh, virtual accelerator? Virtual accelerator is a product for virtual network infrastructure acceleration. So we discussed these hypervisor bottlenecks. The goal of virtual accelerator is to remove these hypervisor bottlenecks. So you have a Linux system, Linux hypervisor, uh, that that uh, that is running your Linux distribution. It can be a, a Red Hat Enterprise Linux or Ubuntu. And on this hypervisor, you will install our virtual accelerator package, start it, and you will naturally, transparently benefit from uh, from the acceleration of virtual accelerator. Just an accelerator product, I, I load it onto my Linux-based hypervisor and off I go. What about VMware environments? Does uh, virtual accelerator factor in there? So today, virtual accelerator supports uh, KVM. Okay. It, it does not support VMware. Okay, okay. If we go into details about that, uh, actually, there is a way you can run virtual accelerator as a virtual machine. Uh, so it, it is possible in a VMware environment to use virtual accelerator to accelerate your virtual infrastructure. Maybe that, that goes into too many details. Let's say natively, virtual accelerator supports KVM-based hosts. Now, let's say I'm going to set up virtual accelerator. I'm installing it on my KVM environment. Do I have to dedicate a certain number of cores to it? Uh, how much of my infrastructure, how much on a host am I dedicating to virtual accelerator? So all depends on your performance requirements, of course. The goal of virtual accelerator is to provide the highest packet processing performance with the minimum number of cores. So you have to dedicate at least one core to packet processing just because of the technology on which we are based. So of course, you have understood we leverage DPDK to receive packets very efficiently. And we have implemented a, a very complete networking stack on top of DPDK, which is not based on OVS DPDK uh, that we discussed before. It's really a, a six wins networking stack, the, the one we've been provided as part of our six wing gate product for the last uh, eight years. This stack uh, requires one core minimum to run. Then, depending on your performance requirements, so typically in a simple use case, virtual accelerator supports 20 gigabits uh, per core, and that scales with the number of cores dedicated to it. So it depends on what you want to achieve. We have done tests on a 12, 10 gig server. We've been able to run wire speed to switch wire speed traffic in virtual accelerator. So virtual accelerator was switching 240 gigabits of traffic. Out of one, out of a single host? That no, was on a single it. host, okay. yes. <laughs> that was, <laughs> using, that was using 12 cores. 12 cores. So one core, each core does 20 gigs. 
Um, yes, but I, I don't think that's uh, so. T- that's just to give you the numbers, but I don't think that's the goal right. is to switch packets at very high performance. The goal is really to minimize the number of cores used for switching. No, but it's an interesting benchmark to illustrate the efficiency, the capability of the virtual accelerator software. Does it matter what sort of a traffic mix you're putting through virtual accelerator? Of course. So the, uh, the more processing, the bigger the impact on the performance. So, so yes, performance is dependent on the traffic uh, on the type of processing you're actually doing to the packet. So as you rip the packets off the networking stack, if you're running them through a firewall, you're going to go through, or an IPS or a proxy server, you're going to have a hit as the, according to what's done to the payload. You're not going to be able to just route them through. But as bragging rights, to say that you can get 120 gigs. So I always have what I call the 50 cent lying rule, which is when vendors talk about benchmarks, they're always doubling it in some way. It's like um, it's like that Volkswagen thing. You know, like when they did the emissions testing, you know, they they tape the doors. They put tape over the doors so there's no airflow over the doors is perfect. They take the side windows off. They run the car with just two litres of petrol. And you know, all these things, little things, you can do that, right? So there's a 50%, what I call 50% bragging rights, where you double up the number. So I'll take whatever you claim is your best number and halve it. But even at 60 gigabits per second or 120 gigs full duplex, that's astonishing. Out of an x86 box with 12 nicks. And and by the way, we've run uh, we've run benchmarks uh, very recently with uh, uh, SDX Central on all our speed series, so including virtual accelerator to to confirm this number with uh, with a third party. So m- maybe we can talk more about it wi- when we talk about the the turbo appliances. I think today the requirements we see for virtual accelerator performance is is a few tens of gigabits, like 20 gigabits, 40 gigabits. People don't don't have have uh, traffic uh, coming to their to their servers with a hundred of gigabits at the moment. With the the appearance of NFV, uh, we anticipate that this will happen very soon, mm. and uh, virtual accelerator will be uh, will be an enabler for this. So today, uh, the, the most of our customers with virtual accelerator will use it on just one core, two cores, to, to achieve speeds that uh, Linux was not able to achieve uh, even when running on all the cores in the system. For example, on a 24 cores system, you will dedicate one or two cores to to your to virtual accelerator to perform your your virtual switching and virtual networking functions, and you will have 22 cores to run virtual machines. Now, virtual accelerator runs, uh, as you said, by itself, and it accelerates Linux in a KVM environment. Turbo router and turbo IPsec. First of all, do I have to have virtual accelerator in the background? Is there a dependency there? Uh, so, so before, uh, sorry, but before answering your question, one thing that uh, we didn't say about virtual accelerator, and that seems important because you said virtual accelerator runs on itself. Uh, I would say virtual accelerator runs transparently, really silently in the system. So it's something we we didn't discuss too much. You continue to configure Linux as you used to before. There is no change to the Linux management. So whatever the tools you used in Linux, so maybe you use the Linux shell, maybe you used some web interface to configure your Linux distribution you use the tools from the Linux distribution like the network manager, you use OpenStack to configure your, your Linux distribution, you use your SDN controller, etc., etc. We don't change that, we don't impact that. So all these things continue to run. You just start virtual accelerator and you benefit from its acceleration really transparently. So just to say, because you said virtual accelerator sure, was, sure. Run, was running by itself, it's actually running hidden, I would say, from okay. the Linux management. <laughs> Got it. Good clarification, yeah. This being clarified, so Turbo Router and Turbo IPsec, uh, our Turbo appliances, 
provide uh, our software appliances that uh, that can sustain very high networking performance, so several hundred of gigabits uh, of uh, of routing or IPsec processing. Of course, if you if you put that kind of uh, of appliance as a virtual appliance. Uh, and not as bare metal, but as a virtual appliance on top of a virtual switch, because all the traffic goes through the virtual switch first, you will be limited by the performance of the virtual switch. So Turbo Router or Turbo IPsec, when run as VNFs in a virtual environment on top of, the, of, of a virtual switch, should run on top of virtual accelerator to be able to run at the, at the speed they were designed for. So I can run Turbo Router, Turbo IPsec. I can make a bare metal appliance out of those. But if I am running them in a virtual environment, then I'm going to have Virtual Accelerator installed first, then Turbo Router and Turbo IPsec so that they can, so they get the full throughput when still in that virtual environment. Yes, that's right. Actually, to be to be fully complete uh, in my answer, so Turbo Router, Turbo IPsec can run as bare metal. You get very high performance. Mm -hmm. That's not a problem. But by the way, I told you about the the benchmarks we've done recently. So we we've measured uh, with uh, with SDX Central. We've measured uh, for Turbo Router 115 gigabits uh, of uh, IP forwarding performance in bare metal, and for Turbo IPsec more than uh, 70 gigabits uh, of IPsec uh, processing. Performance that's uh, several uh, dozens of times uh, what Linux can do. And then, yes, as we said, when we move to a virtual environment, so you can use SRIOV to bypass the hypervisor and get packets very efficiently into your into your software appliance. In that case, you get performance that is close to bare metal. Or you need acceleration of the virtual environment. And uh, of course, uh, I recommend to use Virtual Accelerator uh, to, to provide this acceleration. Okay, so now that we're talking about the appliances themselves, the uh, Turbo Router and Turbo IPsec, I, I want to talk about Turbo Router in a little bit more detail first, beyond just the performance numbers that you were sharing. Now, when I think of a, a, a virtual router, the first thing that pops into my head, Brocade's Viata Router, Cisco's uh, the Cloud Services Router, the CSR1000V. Is that this kind of a router? Is that what we're talking about? Yes, uh, exactly. That's uh, that's exactly the kind of uh, of appliance uh, that we provide. Our positioning is the base, the best price performance ratio. So uh, we provide a wire speed uh, performance in bare metal, uh, and uh, and that is at the, the the best price on the market. That's uh, how we are positioned. So in terms of features, uh, Turbo Router provides routing features, so uh, uh, layer 3 processing, also layer 2 processing with bridging, VLAN, link aggregation, uh, IPv4 and IPv6 forwarding, virtual routing and forwarding. We provide tunneling features, GRE, VXLAN. We provide stateful filtering and NAT. And Turbo IPsec includes all those features, plus um, IPv4 and IPv6 IPsec and, uh, uh, of course, the IKE control plane. In terms of routing control plane, uh, we have RIP, RIPNG, OSPF v2, OSPF v3, BGP, BGP4 plus. Uh, so, so uh, uh, also some uh, uh, some services, uh, DHCP features, uh, SNMP. We we also provide um, a CLI command line interface, uh, which is. Uh, I would say industry standard. It's very similar to what you find on the on other software appliances. So it provides help completion. It provides the ability to uh, to save uh, your configuration, the, the global configuration of your system, import it, export it. So so you can uh, you can reuse it and apply a complete configuration uh, uh, in just one step. 
And uh, we also support XML-based management from a remote entity. You can connect to our Turbo appliances and send some XML configuration. And also, uh, one good uh, feature is the, the support of Linux shell commands. As I said, uh, our technology, because it's transparent to Linux, support any uh, any standard Linux uh, tools and Linux shell configuration. So people who, who are used to configuring Linux if they want to, can uh, can also configure our, our appliances using standard Linux commands. Well, you mentioned a ton of features right there. I want to back up on one. You, you mentioned some routing protocols that are the IPv6 flavor of those routing protocols. D- does the Turbo Router have full IPv6 support? Yes. So that's uh, actually because of uh, our history as well. So Sixwin, in the past, when we were a baby company, was providing IPv6 solutions and uh, and focused on IPv6. So we have a, a very strong uh, uh, know-how with IPv6, and uh, and now it's really uh, it's really mainstream to to have IPv6 features and uh, any any feature any protocol that we support uh, is supported in both IPv4 and IPv6 flavors. Who is the ideal consumer, would you say, for um, uh, for the six point turbo router? I would say uh, for turbo appliances, turbo router, and turbo IPsec, uh, someone who wants um, very high performance software appliance on a, on a general purpose server for an affordable price. So it's uh, it's really a, a simple uh, solution, simple to deploy. You just uh, install them on your generic x86 server. Uh, you can do that on your PC at home if you want to to trade. But it's better to have a, a strong networking mix and uh, and just and just uh, see see the performance that it brings. So um, yes, our users um, uh, can be, uh, for example, um, cloud providers, uh, so that that want to replace their legacy networking equipment inside um, inside their cloud with uh, x86-based um, routing or IPsec software. Uh, we also uh, we work with uh, with uh, uh, companies, enterprises that uh, that connect to to um, to offices, to branch offices together using standard x86 and uh, and the uh, high performance networking connection. Uh, they just install Turbo IPsec on these standard x86 servers and get uh, uh, very easily and very efficiently an IPsec gateway and secured connections between uh, two branch offices. So what I think the thing to take away from this is that. Maybe the turbo router doesn't have kitchen sink capabilities like Viata or Cisco, you know, like MPLS and you know millions and millions of features. But you've tr- you're currently focusing on uh, b- very fast s- performance of your routing engine rather than features that slow it down. Is that a fair trade off, or is it more complex than that? Well, well. It's it's not uh, it's not that we are afraid of uh, slowing down the, slowing down the 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 appliance. Uh, it's more than that. Uh, uh, yes, we focused on uh, on uh, some uh, networking features. It's mm-hmm. true that we don't have the same portfolio of features as uh, as Brocade or Cisco, who have been providing uh, uh, routers for 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 yeah, decades. Yeah. Um, but we but have again, a very. You don't always want those routers, right? There are parts of your network, especially yeah, at the WAN edge, where these exactly. where it's relevant, 
right? So that's exactly right. That's uh, for people who do not have, uh, who, who today buy, for example, uh, Cisco routers and just use uh, 30 or 40% of the capabilities uh, for the price of a Cisco router, we'd propose an alternative with yeah. at least the same performance and uh, maybe a reduced set of features, but much uh, uh, more affordable price. Yeah, so... You- yeah, and it's a price performance issue. So you might want to get a 10 gigabit per second or a 20 gigabit per second router, but at a price performance point, which is fractional compared to what a Viata or a Cisco would cost you. That's correct. Hmm. Turbo IPsec. Now, you, you mentioned that almost in the same breath with Turbo Router along the way, and it almost sounded like maybe some of the functions in Turbo Router were dependent on Turbo IPsec. So help me understand what that product is. Is it a bolt-on to Turbo Router or is it a separate appliance all its own? It's a separate uh, appliance. So you, when you, when you purchase Turbo IPsec, uh, you get a, a complete standalone product. It actually includes all the Turbo Router features plus IPsec. So IPv4 and IPv6 IPsec for the data plane and uh, IKE, uh, so IKE, uh, IKE V1, IKE V2 and VPN monitoring uh, for the control plane. Ah, I get it. Okay. So uh, again, t- when you buy Turbo IPsec, you're getting Turbo Router and you're getting all of the encryption uh, functionality there. So, okay, this one puzzled me as I was reading over the product specs and so on. Um, how is Turbo IPsec getting an increase in encryption performance? Because at the end of the day, it's still a, the same math problem on the x86 side that you've got to solve. So what's going on here that allows the uh, the improved performance to happen it's our secret sauce but uh, <laughs> it's a very efficient uh, uh, algorithms and we we leverage mm-hmm. um, very efficient uh, crypto engines so either in software or uh, or in hardware uh, so, so you're right that the the IPsec performance uh, before all it's the it's the crypto performance. So we have the uh, the know-how uh, to to rely on the, on the high performance crypto engine. So we we support um, the uh, the Intel multi buffer. Uh, library on Intel platforms. Uh, we also support uh, Quick Assist uh, crypto engines, so uh, Coleto Creek, Cave Creek, which are crypto coprocessors uh, that are dedicated to uh, packet encryption, packet decryption, and all this is uh, integrated with our uh, our IPsec stack. So as uh, all the stacks that we designed, uh, fully designed for uh, for to run on multi-core CPUs, so so designed for high performance. Uh, so, so we combine our knowledge in uh, multi-core CPUs, our very efficient networking stacks, and also efficient uh, crypto engines to to get uh, this uh, this performance. And uh, so, in bare metal, what we get is typically uh, five uh, five gigabit per second per core, and uh, the performance scales with the number of cores as for all our protocols. So, when you double the number of cores, you you double your performance. So recently, with SDX Central, uh, we've uh, we've measured 70 gigabits of IPsec data plane processing on a on a on a two socket uh, uh, x86 server, which was actually uh, the maximum of uh, what the traffic generator could throw at us. Uh, so we we would have liked to to do more, but uh, at that step of the of our testing, uh, we we the traffic generator was actually the bottleneck. <laughs> OK, 
Okay. <laughs> you don't hear that very often. <laughs> which is uh, which is interesting because there's a lot of um, networking appliances that won't run at wire speed. Even they can't. They will collapse under load at that sort of performance, um, especially under sustained load. Which and I assume from what I'm hearing is that you did run sustained load. Is that fair? Yeah, the, that's right. That's right. And yeah, especially IPsec is a very intensive, uh, uh, very uh, CPU-consuming protocol. So uh, uh, yeah, we are we are very proud of Turbo IPsec and the kind of performance we get with Turbo IPsec. Okay, so I think one of the, the things that I've learned from being here today is that there are ways to make software work well with hardware. That when you look at SixWin, the thing that I have in the back of my mind, and I think you'll have heard me talk about fairly continuously for the last year or so, is that you can accelerate software using commodity hardware. And what SixWin has done is they've taken their software platform, and I've been watching what they've been doing for two or three years now, so it's great to have them on the show, put their story forward. But what you're looking at is software that is highly optimized to make the most of the x86 platform. There's an awful lot of functionality in Intel's processors and in their chipsets and buses and so forth that you can do to accelerate networking software. Mostly we haven't done that in our operating systems, you know, whether it's Mac OS X or Windows or Linux, you know, KVM, mainly because it's not been a it's been not been a problem for the last decade. So nobody's spent so six wind has done that. Now what they've also done is then taken that networking enhancement or that performance and then turned it into a router, into IPSEC and a virtual accelerator on which you can then build networking appliances. Now, you're not going to start racing out and replacing all of your existing assets with these software based routing engines, whether you run them bare metal or in VMs, but they have a place in your network. If you're into a network where you need to start saying, you know, I can't afford the cost of a custom hardware, and when you've got custom hardware, you've got custom maintenance agreements that are custom, customly priced with generous pricing, and you've got to globally distribute all those assets, it's much cheaper just to have x86 devices everywhere than it is to have custom hardware. So there are certain places where this is going to happen. So it's great to see that there's a company in the market that's actually been doing this for a number of years. So let's hit the wrap on this. Uh, Jan, can you tell people where they can find out more about Sixwind and discover a bit more about the product? Sure, yes, that's very simple. Everything is on our website, www.sixwind.com. And you can find a whole bunch of links. And so. And what about a way to evaluate the product? Yeah, so the, through our website as well, you can find the, the contacts that will uh, drive you through an evaluation of the product. Perfect. Jan, is there a place that we can follow you on the internet? Sure. The, there is my LinkedIn account, and uh, there is uh, on Twitter, at YRappaport. Great. Thanks for joining us on the show today. And thanks once again to Sixwind, who is our sponsor for today's Priority Q podcast. And thank you for listening to Packet Pushers today. You can find this and many more fine, free, technical podcasts along with our community blog at packetpushers.net. And hey, we strive to deliver interesting, useful content about IT each and every month. We hope you like what we're creating. So follow us on Twitter at Packet Pushers. You can find us on LinkedIn as well. You can like us on Facebook and please rate us on iTunes. And last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.